0: So during our time this morning, I want to talk to you um, on the topic of marriage and the biblical presentation and the topic of marriage. So before I get into it, uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house. Thank you, God, that, um, for the people that are here, and uh, Lord, I pray that... Uh, as I've prepared for this message, uh, that you'll give me the wisdom to articulate it, and the hearts would be open and lives would be changed. In Jesus' name. But regardless of your marital status as a Christian, we are all called to live in the context of marriage, right? So if we're married, obviously we're in the context of marriage. If we're single, we're living in the context, we, we must learn how to live in the context of marriage. It seems like generation after generation, there has never been a very high view of marriage. The gap or distance between the biblical view of marriage and the worldly vision is now and has always been enormous, gigantic. Some cultures respect the importance and permanence more than others. Some like our own, have such a low and casual take, take it or leave it attitude. Towards marriage, it makes the biblical view almost unintelligible when it is articulated. That was the case in Jesus' day as well, and nothing really knew about it in our day. In that regard, when Jesus gave a glimpse of marriage and the disciples saw it and God's will for it, they said, "If such is the case." of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus' vision was so different from that of the disciples, they could not imagine it was a good thing. In Matthew 19, starting with verse 1 all the way to verse 11, When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, And he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Wow. Even over 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, God's will for marriage was totally rejected. The disciples, along with Jesus, gave reference all the way back To Moses. I guess it's more easily to understand why it has been rejected when you see that the marriage between the groom being Christ and the bride being the church, and which is the gospel, has always been rejected. So it makes it easy to see why the marriage has been rejected throughout society from the beginning of time. The most foundational thing that can be said about marriage is that it is God's doing, and it is for his glory. We have been, since this entire year, starting with the message on contentment, starting with uh, the message on discipleship or evangelism, starting with the uh, message of how to act as an employee to your employer, all of these, including uh, the message last week on the parable of the talents and how to use our God-given gifts, we're learning this year more than ever uh, that this is all opportunities to give God glory. As Christians, we are here. It is our sole purpose on this earth to give glory to Christ. The world does not know it, and they scoff at it. And that is why it is treated as a take it or leave it. And I like to say it's a promise and a kiss. God designed male and female. In Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then when we go over into the next chapter, Genesis 2, verses 18 to 24, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept, then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she, has taken, because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God spoke the design of marriage into existence. Right there in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh when a couple speaks their vows i dave take you linda to be my lawfully wedded wife in good times and in bad in sickness and in health till death do us part the main actor is not the bride the main actor is not the groom the main actor is god God joins a husband and a wife into one flesh. It's a mystery how two flesh could become one, but God does it. That's a covenant under him, and that's where it's done, under God at the altar when you take your vows. The world does not know it, and that is why they treat marriage casually, and Christians also treat it as if they do not know it. The divorce rate amongst confessing Christians, which the last time I checked is right at 50%, is equal to that of the world, 50%. It's amazing. I don't know which one astonishes me more. The fact that the divorce rate in the world is so low, based on what's going on today, or the fact that in the Christians it's 50%, that high. Marriage is a one flesh union that God himself performs. I, you know, I've had a while to think about this and sometimes I just lay it in bed at night and think about my message and different thoughts come to me. And this is one thought that came to me. When God takes the two flesh and they become one later whatever time it is a month two years six months down the road when that one flesh wants to become two again it's a total disaster marriage is from him through him and for him marriage is a display of god marriage is a sacred covenant our marriage is on display For the world to see. Marriage is a way of preaching the gospel to the world. And really, like I said in the beginning, regardless of your marriage marriage status, your status, you still are in covenant with God. If you're a single person, you're part of the bride and Christ is still your groom. And you need to respond as a Christian like that and let the world see that. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his, and you're hearing this again, the same scripture, but it's, it, it's not the same scripture, but it's in a different spot in the Bible. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul says, is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church, Christ being the groom and the church being his bride. When God planned male and female, family to family into one a one-flesh union, he patterned it on Christ his son and his bride, the church. Marriage exists to display God's glory. The purpose of marriage is to put the covenant between Christ and his church on display to the world. Christ knew he was going to have to pay the price for his bride with his blood. He formed an unbreakable marriage. And that is what needs to be displayed to the world through our marriages, a marriage that's unbreakable. Staying married is not necessarily about staying in love. It's about keeping a covenant. God is on display in our marriages. Another thought that just occurred to me this week is can you imagine if the bride today decided to leave his groom? If Christ decided to leave his church where would we be? It's not an option. It's not an option. I'm just putting it out there. Because as Christians, and I guess um, and the world's vision, you can just do that. But Christ made a covenant with him, and that's a, a covenant for life. And that's the way our marriages need to be. Our entertainment-saturated society helps feed all sorts of illusions about Reality, the fantasy of the perfect romantic and sexual relationship, the perfect lifestyle, and the perfect body all prove unattainable because the reality never lives up to the expectation. The worst fallout comes in the marriage relationship when two people can't live up to each other's expectations. They'll look for their fantasized satisfaction in the next relationship, The next experience, the next excitement, but that path leads only to self-destruction and emptiness. Marriage is the capstone of the family, the building block of human civilization. A society that does not honor and protect marriage undermines its very existence. Why? because one of God's designs for marriage is to show the next generation how a husband and a wife demonstrate reciprocal, sacrificial love towards each other. But when husbands and wives forsake that love, their marriage fails to be what God intended. When marriage fails, the whole family fails. The whole family falls apart. When the family fails, society suffers. The stories of societal suffering fill the headlines every single day. Now more than ever before is the time for Christians to declare and put on display what the Bible declares. God's standard for marriage and the family is the only standard that can produce meaning, happiness, and fulfillment. One of the most explicit passages of Scripture that outlines God's standard for marriage is found in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, be subject to your husband's as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the Savior of the body but as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be their husbands to their husbands in everything husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own life, his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body for this reason man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this mystery is great but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love your own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband." (laughs) Wives often bear the brunt of that section, but the majority of that passage deals with the husband's attitude toward and the responsibilities to his wife nonetheless here's the wife's responsibility before the Lord wives be subject to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ Christ also is the head of the church he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Wait, wait husbands, your time is coming. Mm -hmm. This is a very misunderstood uh, verse I mean, I've talked to some people that don't know Christ, and, um, you know, if you try and bring those verses to them, um, right away, they think that um, that's just not even human, okay? You're, you're going to be, you know, the wife has to be submissive to everything you say, and right away, there's a, there's a defensive guard that goes up. But listen, submission in no way applies a difference in essence or worth it does refer however to a willing submission of oneself wives submission is to be your voluntary response to god's will it's a willingness to give up your rights to other believers in general and ordained authority in particular in this case it's your husband Husbands aren't to treat their wives like slaves. And that's usually what you hear from somebody that misinterprets these verses. Barking commands at them, they are to treat their wives as equals, assuming their God-given responsibility of caring, protecting, protecting, and providing for them. Likewise, wives fulfill their God-given responsibility when they submit willingly to their own husbands. That reflects not only the depth of intimacy in their relationship, but also the sense of ownership a wife has for her husband. So here's some divine directives for husbands found in this same scripture. After giving the divine guidelines for the wife's submission, Paul explains in the next nine verses of Ephesians, the husband's duty to submit to his wife through his love for her. Remember, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Husbands, love your wives. Oh, here it is. Just as Christ also loved the church. The Lord's pattern of love for his church is the husband's pattern of love for his wife. And it is manifest in four ways. Number one, sacrificial love. Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. The husband who loves his wife as Christ loves his church will give up everything he has for his wife, including his life if necessary. Now most of us husbands would probably acknowledge literally dying for your wife is not really a possibility under the circumstances of where we're at right now. But I would speculate that it is more difficult to make smaller sacrifices for her. husbands. When you put aside your likes, desires, opinions, preferences, and welfare to please your wife and meet her needs, you are truly dying to self to live for your wife. And that is what Christ loves. That's what Christ's love demands from husbands. Let's talk about purifying love. Love wants only the best for the one it loves, and it cannot bear for a loved one to be corrupted or misled by anything, evil or harmful. If you really love your wife, you'll do everything in your power to maintain her holiness, her virtue, and purity every day you live. That obviously means doing nothing to defile her. Don't expose her or let her indulge in anything that the world would bring impurity into her life. Don't tempt her by sin. By, let's say, this is one that, you know, um, I'm guilty of. By, let's say, inducing an argument out of her on a subject you know is sensitive to her. Love always seeks to purify. OK, are, we, are you guys following me so far? Yeah. The next one I want to talk about is caring love. When your wife needs strength, give her strength. When she needs encouragement, give it to her. Whatever she needs, you are obligated to supply as best you can. God shows you to provide for her and protect her, to nourish and cherish her, and to do so as Christ also does for his church. Okay, the last kind of love I'm going to talk about is unbreakable love. A husband to, is to love his wife as Christ loves his church, He must love her with an unbreakable love. In this direct quotation, Paul emphasizes the permanence as well as the unity of marriage. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And God's standard for marriage still has not changed. Husbands, your union with your wife is permanent. The churches, the the bride's union with the groom is permanent. And it's going to stay that way. When you got married, you had to leave, cleave, and become one with your wife. Never go back on that. Let your wife rest in the security of knowing that you belong to her for life. Just as the body of Christ is indivisible, God's ideal for marriage is that he is also indivisible. As Christ is one with his church, you husbands are one with your wives. Paul goes on to say, this mystery is great, But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Why is submission as well as sacrificial, purifying, and caring love so strongly emphasized in Scripture? Because the sacredness of the church is wed to the sacredness of marriage. Church, your marriage is a testimony to to the relationship between Christ and his bride the church your marriage will either tell the truth about that relationship or it will tell a lie what is your marriage saying to the watching world if you'll walk in the power of the spirit yield to his word and be mutually submissive you can know that god will bless you abundantly and glorify his son through your marriage okay, this is where I'm going to need a little mercy because I have a lot of notes I've written down here. So, a few weeks ago, I taught on evangelism and I articulated the gospel the very best that I could to make sure that people would be able to to know what the gospel truly was and uh, they would be able to um, find Christ okay through that gospel message that I gave. Christ the groom and his church the bride that's a gospel message This book from cover to cover is a marriage relationship from start to finish now here's what I want to say because I can't I can't finish this message okay without saying this because it's almost like an elephant in the room if you are a married couple living as two individuals you're gonna hit speed bumps you're gonna hit potholes it's gonna be a disaster you need to get into the word and figure it out and if not that then get with other married couples and go through the word together. And if you're two individuals living as a married couple without God's blessing, it's not going to happen. You can't take two individuals and live as one flesh and expect God to bless it without making the covenant under God. Is that totally understood? Okay, good, good. So here's five ways that God blesses your marriage. Number one, be fruitful. Be productive with your life. Use the abilities and the gift, gifts God has given you for his glory. Number two, multiply. Does everyone know what it means to multiply? <laughs> Just, OK, means to populate the earth with godly children. And this is my example, 1 plus 1 equals 3. However, in some cases, 1 plus 1 equals 4. Right? So what a privilege, though, and what a blessing for a married couple to bring godly children into this world. And this church has a lot of godly children. How blessed we are to have those children, even in our midst right now. Another way your marriage is blessed. God gave you a companion, a helper, Situations you encounter in life with decision-making, raising children, finances. When you want to live, uh, where do you want to live? Where do you want to be employed? Okay, God gave you a companion to discuss those things with. Interesting to note that God did not make Eve from Adam's head to be above him or from his feet to be below him. He made her from Adam's rib to be beside him and with him. Number four, accountability. Someone to hold you accountable. Wow, that's, I'll tell you what, that is a big one in, in, to me because I have seen individuals, individuals, Christian individuals that seemingly are strong in the Lord, they have the word. And if they, let's just put it this way um, without somebody with them to hold them accountable, it's much harder for them. I've seen Christians fall because of that, because they didn't have somebody along their side to hold them accountable. In Proverbs 27 17, it says, Iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another finally the fifth blessing I listed for marriage and there's probably a hundred more we are stronger together Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this and if one can overpower him who is alone two can resist him a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I've had the opportunity to speak at weddings and give the blessing before the food, and I really love to talk about that. And I, used to, I, I like to even take, you know, I'll take a rope, you know, and, and, and then just give the whole example. And uh, it's just a wonderful example of, you know, that somebody by themselves, is much stronger when they have somebody to be their companion. And when Christ comes into that relationship and now you have a three cord strand, it's almost impossible to break it. So where do I close with this? I don't have a closing written down. Um, but, But I learned a lot through this message. I've seen over the years where I've failed, okay, in my own uh, situations. Um, But now, looking at and getting the full scope of the godly view of marriage, Christ being the groom and His church being the bride, it's a lot easier uh, to to understand that and realize that if you're going to buck against that, if you're going to kick against that and not do it the way it's laid out biblically uh, you're going to have a rough road ahead of you. But when you are willing to lay it out biblically and do it marriage is an amazing journey. It's an amazing journey and God is glorified through it. So I'm going to close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for for the groom for Jesus Christ and his church. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the opportunity to be your church. I pray, God, that as we go through this journey, that husbands and wives, whatever marital status we have, Lord God, that we would see... The plan and the purpose that you have laid out for us. I pray, God, that we would be humble and submit. Learn to love. Learn to care. Learn to sacrificially give. We thank you, God, for for this um, for this revelation, for your book, and. Uh, Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.